John chapter 18, and uh, Steve's going to read beginning at verse 1. You follow along if you will. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place, because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with him, with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, Put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cut my father has given me? Steve has just finished verse 11 for all those who are online. Now we're going to go over to verse 25. Steve, read beginning there for the verse 25, 26, and 27. As Simon Peter stood warming himself, he was asked, You are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him, Didn't I see you with him in the olive grove? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Last week, I introduced to us uh, the concept of uh, the disappearance of virtue, the vanishing of virtues. We call it whatever happened to virtue. And in it, if you'll remember, uh, I defined virtue for us in this manner. Uh, It's moral character... Uh, which has the power to impact the lives of others. In other words, virtue, whatever that virtue might be identified with, we'll be talking about that today. Um, We're talking about really moral character in a Christian. But it's the kind of character that has the power, which we know is empowered through the Holy Spirit, to impact other people. In other words, what we say with our lips is the message of Christ. What we demonstrate with our life is the character of Christ. And both are the message that we're to declare as believers. Not just with our lips the message, but with our life, his virtue. Okay? And last week we saw that when society determines what is virtuous, in their estimation. Whatever they choose will cause that society to rise or to fall. For instance, the Roman Empire chose bravery as a virtue. 
It's a good thing to be brave. And so everything was geared toward being brave. They had the long swords they went to war with. They invented the short sword because in bravery, they wanted to get close to the enemy to do damage to it. They began the gladiatorial uh, things that happened in the Colosseum where the gladiators fought against uh, animals and uh, victims who had been enslaved from other nations. And ultimately, even Christians were placed there. And those gladiators fought to the death. And remember, the Roman congregation would give the thumbs up if they were to live or the thumbs down if they were to die. And they did it based on the bravery that the defeated one exhibited. If they were really brave, even though they were whipped, then they were allowed to live. If they were really brave, but they were cowards in it, running or whatever, thumbs down, they died. So that bravery was their virtue, but it was at the expense of mercy and goodness and a lot of other virtues that are extremely important. Well, the Roman Empire fell because, as Carl Menninger talked about, when virtue vanishes, or he talked about sin, when sin vanishes, people will, um, they will simply compromise their thinking about what is right or wrong. And the same thing is true of virtue. In fact, Christian character or Christian virtues are a lot like my nitroglycerin tablets, as I showed you last week. Uh, they're fine. They're wonderful. Take a little bitty thing, put it under your tongue. And uh, it's supposed to do something that keeps things going better than they were. The problem is when you open it and take one out for the very first time, it's a limited amount of time that they work. You have to renew them more quickly. Why? Because they lose their virtue. You see, virtue has the idea of impacting, the ability to impact. And so virtuous character impacts the lives of others. Well, it has to be virtue according to a certain standard. And when society determines what theirs are, their virtues are, they'll either rise or fall. But Christians don't decide what their virtues are. You know what they are, don't you? They are those things that we call the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and a few other things. But the point is, it's the character of Christ. And that must not be allowed in our lives as Christians to lose its power to impact. Okay? So, we looked at our verses last week in Second uh, Peter. Uh, actually, uh, it's First Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 9 where Peter told us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, in order that we may declare his, King James says, praises. That's not the word praise. That's the word virtue. That we may declare his virtues, the one of, who called us out of darkness into his wonderful life. And then in Second, in 1 Peter 2.9, uh, I mean 2 Peter 1.5, it says, And besides this, giving diligence to add to your faith, 
You would think knowledge, well, that's in line, but it's not next. Add to your faith, what? Virtue. And to your virtue, what? Knowledge. In other words, it's a whole lot more important of what we live out in our being than it is what we hold in our head as knowledge. But we spend all of our time, too much of our time, trying to get knowledge without any emphasis on what character is to be. So this morning, I'm going to begin uh, a series of things that I'm going to be looking at in the weeks to come uh, as I teach on this. Now, uh, I'm going to deal with courage today. The next time I teach, whenever that is, it'll be a different one and then a different one. We will eventually end up with four or five uh, character qualities. And uh, I think we'll enjoy our trip along the way. Question? Hey, yes, sir. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, I like how it seems like it progresses. Yes, it is progressive. By the way, we'll be mentioning that in, the, in, the, in terms of our study as we go along. All right, now, let's begin by simply showing this. Courage is the launching pad. I'm starting with courage. Now, why am I doing that? Well, because I think it takes courage for all the other virtues or character qualities to be on display. It takes courage to be honest. It takes courage to have self-control. It takes courage to love. It takes courage, you understand. And so I'm going to begin with courage, not because it's the most important necessarily, but because I think it's a good launching pad for all of the others. Besides that, I'm just convinced that it takes a lot of courage just to be a Christian. Several years ago, I was in Wichita Falls pastoring a church. I just graduated in the seminary. It was my first full-time ministry after seminary graduation, Fairway Baptist Church. And there was a young man. I did a what I called a weirdo's Bible study <laughs> on Saturday night. And uh, now the reason we call it weirdos is because the teacher was a bit of a weird guy himself. That was me. Uh, and the others who came were weirdos. They were all out of the Jesus movement all out of Midwestern University. Most of them never wear, uh, no, most of them never wear, uh, wore shoes, and usually they'd stand their jeans in the corner when they'd get out of them at night to go to bed. Then they'd get in them the next morning. And you understand what I'm saying. Well, there was a fellow by the name of uh, uh, Roger Deer in Water. Literally, the name is Deer in Water. You can know that he is uh, American Indian of origin. Uh, Bob Dearnwater, his brother, was All-American at the uh, Oklahoma State University. And uh, I've, no I've known Bub through the years. He died. In fact, I was with Bub at the time of his death with Roger. But Roger came on the dare of, one of, of Mike Ruth, one of the other boys. And Roger would never go to church. He hated two things. He hated Baptist preachers and he hated the pigs. Now, that's the police. And so he hated pigs and he hated Baptist preachers. They were on the same level in Roger Deerinwater's mind. And uh, he would not darken the door of any church, anytime, anywhere. Besides that, he didn't wear shoes and he wasn't going to wear shoes for anybody. Well, Mike invited him to our weirdos Bible study. Well, the name attracted him. I wonder why. 
So he shows up one night, and there I am, and I wore Indian moccasins in those days, uh, in the summertime, and I wore Indian moccasins with my shorts, and you know, I just, I'm just one of the guys. We had fun. We had a tremendous time. The next Sunday, Roger uh, came on a Sunday morning. I'm going ahead and tell you a little of this story. Roger came on Sunday morning. I mean, for the first time ever, walked in the back. I mean, he had on those dirty jeans, no shoes, long hair, and he told Mike, his friend, they will not let me in. Well, Carl Swords was there. Carl Swords, one of our greeters. Carl Swords was a ceiling contractor guy. He owned a company. Carl Swords never met a stranger. He loved everybody. And when Roger walked up, Carl Swords uh, enveloped him in his arms and hugged him and greeted him. And Roger was going to sit on the back. Carl took him by the arm, took him down to the third row. And he was trapped. <laughs> I preached that morning, gave the invitation. Roger came forward. I did what I did in sharing the Lord with him. We got on our knees, and Roger came to know the Lord. And uh, the next week, I was at his home when Carol, his wife, came to know the Lord. I baptized them both, and Roger has pastored churches through the years and is still a dear friend and has heard me heard of me giving this story about him for many years. But Roger said one of the reasons he wanted nothing to do with Christian is because they were all a bunch of cowards. They were all so, quote, meek. There wasn't a man among them or a real woman among them, according to Roger Dearnwater's definition. And uh, so um, I told him, I said, Roger, uh, too many Christians are uh, uh, without any kind of backbone. Too many are. But I'll tell you one thing. Every believer who really knows the Lord in a true fashion is going to be a man or a woman of real courage. He has told me since then that that statement to him has been evidenced in everything he's seen happen in the lives of people who come to know the Lord. When you really know the Lord, it's going to involve some courage. It takes courage just to be a Christian. Now, not any razzle-dazzle this morning, no big you know, hoopla about uh, outline or anything. I'm just going to ask three or four questions and try to answer them the best I can. And the first question is this. Are courage and bravery the same thing? Are courage and bravery the same thing? My answer is, I don't know. But I don't think so. See, in our text, John 18... Peter is one of the bravest guys I think I've ever seen. Look in verse 3, it says, Judas, uh, having received, uh, King James says, a band of men. The Greek word is cohort. And uh, interestingly enough, the cohort was a Roman, uh, was a Greek word used for the Roman army. And the cohort is what we would call a company. Uh, I'm sorry, the century was the first one. That was the 100 soldiers. Then six centuries of soldiers, 600 soldiers, made up one cohort. And then one co multiple cohorts made up a legion of soldiers. Okay? This verse says Judas came with a 
cohort. And that's a term that's used for at least 600 Roman soldiers. In other words, this was not just a few guys coming in to arrest Jesus. This was a mammoth thing made up of Jewish leaders and Roman soldiers. Now get that in your mind. At least 600 people in that bunch, more than that, counting uh, the religious leader. And what does Peter do? He draws his sword and bonsai, he charges. Now, he cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest. It wasn't the ear that he was aiming for. I think he was aiming for his head. He just missed, cut off his ear. The scripture says Jesus placed the ear back on, told him to put up his sword. Nobody seemed to notice that real miracle there. But Jesus said, I could call legions of angels and they would stop this from happening. But you can't doubt Peter's bravery. I mean, he, that was a brave moment, right? But unfortunately, we also read in uh, the later verses, uh, verse 25 through 27, that Peter was out of fear and out of the lack of bravery or courage, whatever, uh, denied that he even knew Jesus. In other words, bravery seems to be a spontaneous, momentary thing that really doesn't have a lot to do with character like courage does. Now, uh, for instance, a guy rushes into a house on fire to save people and comes out, and somebody says, wow, why did you do that? Sometimes he'll say, well, I just wasn't thinking. And the idea is, if I'd really been thinking, I wouldn't have done such a stupid thing uh, anyway. Uh, the fact is, he might not have if he'd, have been, if he'd thought about it. It can be an unthoughtful, momentary moment where you just spontaneously, for whatever reason, choose to do something. Now, that's a brave thing, okay? but it dissipates rather quickly as Peter evidenced. It's not something that's sustainable necessarily or stays with you. It's kind of like the, the dad who was swinging his little boy and little girl on a swing. And the little girl was saying, faster, daddy, faster, higher, daddy, higher. And the little boy was saying, not so fast, dad, not so high. You know, somebody said, oh, she's brave and he's not. No, she's stupid and he's not. That's, that's the problem there. You see, it, uh, sometimes bravery has more to do with your personality than it has to do with your character. Are you following me here? You remember that time I told you about Mary and me being in the home of our preacher friend uh, and his son had that python in his room, a bedroom and asked me if I wanted to see it and I told him, not on your life. You remember that? I told you that. And he, you know, I didn't notice it a little later in the meal. I, my back was turned, married, gotten up, gone. I thought she'd gone bathroom or something if I thought about it. Pretty soon, uh, she came in with that python wrapped around her arm and put it in my face. Isn't this a sweet thing? Uh, is she braver than I am? No, she's stupid. <laughs> she didn't got any sense. Uh, you understand what I'm saying. Bravery is not necessarily the same thing as courage. I think it more is a momentary kind of thing. You want to know what courage is? Let me show you what courage is. Here it is. 
It's in Acts 4. Same guy, Simon Peter. Listen to it. You do not need to turn. Just listen to it as I read it to you. And uh, listen to what he said. And being let go, uh, well, let me read you what Peter said. Uh, uh, Peter and John, uh, in verse 19, Peter and John, they'd been kind of stopped by the uh, religious folks and said, you can't do this anymore. And even some of the Roman authorities uh, under Pilate, and he said, uh, uh, you can't do it anymore. Uh, they commanded them not to speak in verse 18, nor to teach in the name of Jesus. Don't say that name again out in public. That's an order. Your life may depend on it. That's what the Roman authorities and the religious folks were saying. But Peter and John answered and said, Now, whether it seems right in your eyes or not, in the sight of God, it's more important to me that I do right than anything else. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they further threatened them, they let them go. Now, that's courage. You know why? Because courage is an entirely different thing I'm thinking than bravery is. Courage is a willingness to do something that is right, that is God's purpose, I'm talking to us as Christians, that is part of God's plan, regardless of the outcome. That takes tremendous courage, and that's what Roger Derenwater had to face more times than he ever dreamed possible, but he became a man and is today a man of courage. It's not bravery, because bravery can dissipate. Courage can be lost, perhaps, but what I'm saying is it's, it's more of an internal thing where you choose to do what is virtuous regardless of the cost because your name, the name of God, is stamped on your life. It's like the guy in Stillwater, Oklahoma, who built homes, and uh, it was going to be a little over cost, and so he told his foreman, he said, uh, I don't want you to put this wood, which was the best grade wood, uh, out uh, in the closets. I want you to put a lesser grade wood in the places that are hidden and his worker said, I can't do it. I can't do it. And or, or the workers, the foreman said, uh, that's what I want you to do. Uh, and the, the guy said, I can't do it. I don't think it'd be right. So the owner came up and the foreman told him what he wanted to do. And the foreman said, he's right. You're not going to do it. Why? Because my name's on the company. And it's going to be done right when my name is on the company. It's the same thing in the Christian life. We don't do it because of who we are. We do it because of whose name has been imprinted and stamped on our life. And so I think uh, there may be a difference between bravery and courage. Second question is this. Is courage a Christian thing only? I don't know, but I don't think so. You ever heard of Dick Hoyt, H-O-Y-T? Remember his son, Rick? Yeah, yeah. He's the boy who was born with cerebral palsy at birth, and at age 11, they taught him to use a computer, which was his first time to ever communicate with his parents. 
Well, there was a school, and with that computer, he started getting some education, the boy did, and there was a school that he was a part of who was going to have a five-mile race. And he told his dad, Dad, through the computer, I want to be in that race. So his dad got this special built wheelchair, and he took him on that race uh, for that school. And that was quite an experience. But it was what the boy said at the end of the race that mattered. He said, Rick said, through this computer, Dad, when I'm running, it feels like my disability, disability has disappeared. When we're running, it feels like my disability has disappeared. Well, his dad was changed by that. And a thing called Team Hoyt was founded. He built him this wheelchair, and that father took his son, Rick, 32 Boston marathons. Now, uh, Dick Hoyt died last March. I have read everything I can find on Dick Hoyt. Uh, I've never found any reference to God. I've never found any reference to Christ. I have no idea whether Dick Hoyt was a believer or not, but I can tell you one thing about Dick Hoyt. He was a courageous man. So I'm not sure that courage is necessarily only a Christian thing. But I do know this. The difference between our courage and the courage of a Dick Hoyt or anyone else, if they're truly not a believer and yet do courageous things, is the purpose for the doing of it. In other words, I'll do it for a son or I'll do it for a daughter, but the underlying motive is because I'm going to love them and be to them what God is already being to me. Does that make sense? So that he, God himself, is the source of the purpose that drives me. So when you are faced with a moment where courage is needed, just remember, you don't do it for a person or even yourself, but rather to be to a person or to others what God is being to you. Now, the very thought of that inspires me personally to be more courageous than I would have ever thought possible. Because when you choose to be virtuous in a moment when it may cost you or be painful to you as it was with this father and his son, painful thing to do, but when you choose to do it, you'll be doing it because of how and who it is that loves you and how and who the one is being to you, what you need for your life. You'll be that to other people, even if it costs you, that's courage. And I don't know whether it's a Christian thing only or not. I never will forget, I was pastor at Southcliffe in Fort Worth, and I got a phone call. One of our guys, a young family man with three children, I love this couple and their kids, and he was a printer, worked for a big publishing company there. And Actually, he was, his company was in Dallas, but he lived in Fort Worth, member of Southcliffe, and they'd drive over to work. But... Uh, he said, Brother Paul, my family and I would like to come talk to you. And I said, sure. So he met me at the, my office, came in, and uh, he, they told me the story. 
of how his boss had come to him and said, now, I'm going to assign this magazine to you, and you and your team will be the one that prints it. And it happened to be uh, Penthouse or some magazine, and he, he couldn't do it. In all conscience, he couldn't do it. He just, you know. And so he told his boss, he said, look, I'll take two other jobs if you'll give this particular job to some other of the team. And the guy said, no, no, you'll do this. And the guy said, I, but conscientiously I can't. And the boss said, well, you will or you won't have a job here. So he was wanting to call, he wanted to counsel with me and talk to me a little bit about what it was all about. We talked and he just told me, he said, well, you know, I know that the Lord will provide. I know that. I trust him in that. But I'm going to have to live by my conscience, and I'm just going to have to tell him no, even if it costs me my job. I remember that quite well, but I'll never forget what his little, I think it was his, I don't know how old, seven, eight, nine-year-old boy said to me as he walked out. He looked back and he said, Brother Paul, my daddy is the bravest man I know. I know the kid was talking about courage. His dad was the most courageous man he'd known. That's what courage is all about. It's the idea that uh, we express and are willing to express what is right, principled, honest, noble, according to our conscience informed by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and informed by the truth of Scripture. That's what courage is in our lives as believers. When those moments come where what is true, honorable, ennobling, honest, I choose to do, even though it costs, because my conscience has been informed by the scripture and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I say yes or no to this based on a thing called the courage to do it. Now, third question is courage being without fear or being fearless? The answer is no. No, because later in Acts 4, when Peter said, I don't know whether it's right for you or not, but in the sight of God, I'm going to choose to do what is the right thing. I will speak his name regardless of what it costs me. That is courage, but it is not without a cost. Somebody can do a drive-by shooting and their fellows uh, gang members might think it's a brave thing to do. No, it's a cowardice thing to do, you see. But the point is, when we're informed and empowered by the Scripture and the Holy Spirit, the virtue that we're living out or the choice that we make is lived out with that understanding. And the final one is, why is courage so important? And the answer is because... It's a foundation for everything else. I wish I had time to tell you about how honesty was faced by that fire chief in California. I told you about that one time. 
He'd never been able to do it. Never had the courage to do it. If he hadn't been willing to say yes to the right thing. Cost him his job, but he did it. Lying. Uh, telling a lie can be done. Takes courage not to. It's like the politician who was told to lie about his position on a political issue. But he was told it would ruin his chances to run for president. So don't tell your position. Lie about it. His answer was, I'd rather be honest than president. That's what courage is all about. And God give us a baptism of courage. A willingness to do what is right, principled, honest, noble, according to my conscience. Informed by the scripture, empowered by the spirit. In those moments where I have a choice to make. All right. That's all I want to say. One thing before we go, and she graciously asked permission to do it, and I'm granting that to her. Nadine spent some time in the emergency room. And uh, we've got about two minutes, Nadine. Go ahead and tell us about uh, your incident. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I got my battle gear on. I went to the emergency room twice. And you know, I went because I had something lodged in my throat and I kept feeling dizzy and everything. So I called 211 and they said, call 911. I called 911 they said, we're gonna send you an ambulance. I said, no, I'm only a few blocks away. I'm going in my car. I got there. They're gonna ask me all this information instead of letting me uh, go on back. But I'm going to tell you what God did. The greatest sin is unbelief. He said in his word, he said by his stripes, we are healed, not going to be healed. I am healed. Praise Already Lord. healed. But I had talked with someone else. Let me tell you, they told me, they called me by five, they sent me home, and I started feeling bad again. She said, you need to go back to the hospital. She said, but go to a different one because they didn't do you right. I said I had something in my throat, they're gonna take a chest x-ray, but I understand what they were probably trying to do. But it's a lot more to the story. But I want you to know what God did, not me. Thank you. Because God did it. And I want you to know, I told, again, I told her, I said, no, I'm going in the ambulance because they charge you $250 and I can go free in my car. Oh. And I put my hazardous lights on, but I thank God because I didn't have a car accident. When I got to, I was going to run all the lights because it was early in the morning, about 6 in the morning. And I was going to run all the lights. The Lord let me see this car just before I got to the red light. God is a present help in the time of trouble. Hey, thank you, Nadine. You know what I'd like to do? What I'd like to do? I'd like to bottle up some of that. And in the presence of Baptist churches where I go to speak, I'd like to uncork it. Boy, we'd have rider revival, I'll tell you that. God bless you. Hug about the dozen necks before you go. You're dismissed.